Okay, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. <coughs> we come to chapter number 13 today. Chapter number 13. And uh, next week is the week before Old Fashioned Day. And so we'll be working all week, getting ready. So we will not have a Bible study next week. The week after that, we're going to stay home and go, ah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> And so we won't have for two weeks. And then when we come back, there should be about four weeks left of the summer where we'll do something. Maybe we'll keep going with Corinthians. I think that might be an idea. So we're in chapter 13 today, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, We come to some of Paul's best. We think about what Paul has written. Romans chapter 1 is a masterpiece. Romans chapter 8 is absolutely brilliant. Philippians chapter 2 is, a, is also very instructive. Hebrews 11 is historical genius. And then we come to 1 Corinthians 13, often called the love chapter. Love chapter. Um, it is a very difficult thing to define love. It's a very difficult thing to define. And uh, it's, it's uh, uh, lots of definitions out there. You have different concepts in your own mind, and uh, so do I in mine. One that I have always uh, mentioned is it's a sovereign choice. Love is a sovereign choice. We look at somebody, sometimes we just love them. And uh, we almost can't explain why. It's uh, our own choice that we make. And I think there are people in life that we are just bound to love. Can't help but love them. And uh, I always think of my Uncle Ed. He was made for me. I guess maybe I was made for him. And uh, it's kind of that way. It's a sovereign choice. And you make a choice to love somebody. But at the same time, you have to kind of be careful when you're trying to define love. You say, well, it's a sovereign choice. I can't hardly describe it myself, why it happens. I remember being madly in love with this young lady that I knew once. (laughs) And that's all I could think about. And one winter night was my birthday. And I said, I'd like to go pick up Cheryl. My mother said, no, nah, we don't need her here tonight. And I disagreed. <laughs> and uh, she won, because I wouldn't argue with her. But I d- didn't forget that. <laughs> and uh, to love somebody is very difficult sometimes to explain it. And so we said, well, it, I don't know what happens. But then... Jesus turns around and says, this is my commandment that you love one another. So it's not just, oh, yep, there it is. It's not that. Jesus has instructed us. This is what I expect. As a matter of fact, this is, I command you to do this. And so uh, trying to define it uh, is difficult and to say exactly what love is. And always with Jesus, love is in control. 
Watch what he does. He go to, there's a little guy climbing up a tree, Zacchaeus. You know, everybody hates him. <laughs> Jesus comes and I'm going to your house today. Love is in control. Woman at the well. She says, you, you shouldn't even talk to me. You're a Jewish man. And he sits and talks with her. And blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road, calling out to Jesus. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem to die, but he stops. And he says, bring him here. And he jumps up, comes to him. And more than that, Peter, right? Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you. <laughs> and uh, John is the one we think of the most. He's the one that talked about love the most. And we see him at the Last Supper resting his head on Jesus' chest. Right, so there's a great deal of love. Everything Jesus touches is all full of love. Love controls everything. Now, last week we looked at chapter 12. And I talked about chapter 12, which we could call the gift chapter. And that uh, chapter we talked about the different gifts that are given to people in the church. And I told you in the 70s that was it, man. That was it. Everybody's talking about gifts. Books written by the hundreds. Every preacher's preaching about the gifts. And uh, uh, that became the focus of the, almost the whole church at that time in America. That's, church in America has that. <laughs> they tend to focus on things maybe they shouldn't so much. Uh, chapter 12 is, here's the gift. Here's a way that you run a church. And so we remember we said that the book of Corinthians is what? How to run a church. And most of the examples so far have been don't do it that way. <laughs> Here's what Corinth did. Don't do that. They had preachers. Peter, pretty good preachers, I'll tell you. Apollos and Paul. And they are arguing, fighting over who's the best one. And Paul says, don't do that. He missed the whole point of everything. And we saw several things along the way. They had a fellow there that took up with his stepmother. And they thought he was a regular hero in the church. Paul says, he's got to go. He's got to go. And then, of course, the communion table was insane. They were uh, grabbing the food and eating all they could get. And somebody didn't get any. And it was a mess. And so we see a lot of things how not to run a church. And you can learn just as much that way as in, in my lifetime, I've learned a lot more from how not to do it than how to do it, right? Isn't that kind of how we are? <laughs> Aren't we all a little bit, this is how not to do it. Well, we tried that, so we know. <laughs> uh, but it's nice to know how to do it. And now he's told us in chapter 12, these are gifts, and it's kind of how the church operates. But then in chapter 12, we're going to start there, verse 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts, yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Here's a better way. And that's interesting to me. He said this is a better way to do it than the gifts. 
This is a better way to do it than the gifts. So 13 is more important than 12. 13 gets the stars, read that and get that right, and then uh, we'll be as focused on the gifts because this is a better way to run a church. And that's very important to get it right and figure it out. The flow of argument in the text. When we come to chapter 13, you will have heard it read at weddings, right? People use it to read at weddings. And that's fine. It works there. Nothing wrong with that. But the purpose of chapter 13 uh, was... Here's a better way to run a church. Matter of fact, this is the best way to run a church. What I just told you in chapter 12 is good, but this is a much better way. There is a weakness when we operate with just gifts. And that's why he says there's a better way. And the weakness, it's kind of obvious. Uh, it's easy for people to become jealous. Somebody's using a gift that they have. And people, someone becomes jealous. It was a problem in Corinth. That uh, people, that guy's pretty talented. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, what else? Well, there's a tendency towards criticism. Criticism, if you use just gifts, it's awful easy to criticize. Somebody say, well, I don't like the way you do it. Hmm? You say, well, I'm exercising my gift. Well, I don't like the way you do it. <laughs> uh, my way is better. I'm more qualified than you are. And so there can be a trap if we decide to use the gifts without chapter 13. And this, this is kind of like a poison. Jealousy is like a poison. It's in your system, starts to change your point of view, starts to change your attitude, and it works internally until uh, we look at everybody, you know, through green eyes, they say, green eyes of jealousy. Uh, so uh, it's a weakness in the gifts that can be corrected. Right? And the best gifts, he says, Desire the best gifts, but he said, be careful because there's a weakness in the gifts. So let's start now. Take a look at chapter 13. See if we can figure out how to do it right. Though I speak with the tongue of men and of angels and have not love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. You get a big old uh, crash of a, a cymbal, it makes your head go. <laughs> You know, it's not a musical note. It's a loud sound. It's a loud sound. And he says, in other words, you're just making noise. If you preach, that's what he's talking about. If I have the gift, I can speak. And I can speak as good as an angel. I have a tremendous ability for oration. And I can get up and sway people and uh, do uh, talk to people in such a way that I have a power over them. He says, if I don't love them, you're just making noise. You're just making noise. And so it's, it's 
theirs would be about the top gift. He said, I want you to desire the top gift. You can speak well to people. He said, but without love, all you do is make noise. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge. So, uh, preaching, he says, can be one of the great gifts. Uh, Prophecy or actually knowledge is what he's talking about. If I have knowledge, I know my Bible. I know it inside out, and I can really understand it. And, uh, and then he says, if I have faith, how much faith? See what he says here. If I have faith so that I could remove mountains. So you can say, i got a lot of faith. I can really stand up and believe God to do anything. But he says, if there's no love in it, it's nothing. It's a zero with the rim rubbed off. Nothing. It is nothing. And preaching and knowledge and faith, you say, those are what we need in church. Yes, we do. There's attitudes here too. Verse 4, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, give my body to be burned, have not love that profiteth me nothing. All right, so he says if I self-sacrifice, I'll give whatever I have, I'll use whatever I have, I'll give myself up, I'll even die. But if you don't love people, it says, it's no good, it's useless, it's worthless. And so everything, he says, will amount to nothing. So <clears throat> he turns us from these gifts and says, without love, they're nothing, and so we're going to have to focus on Making a church all full of love. How are we going to do that? Well, he's going to give us some information here to think about what love is. He's going to define it. And it's, I suppose, is one of the best ways anybody has ever done it, to define it. This is how a church is supposed to run. This is the best way to run a church. And there's attitudes that are involved here that love creates. And he says those are what we need. So let's see what the best way to run a church is. Verse 4, charity, and I'm using the word love there. Now some of your Bibles might have love. King James has charity, but the same idea. All right, Charity suffereth long and is kind. It suffereth long. That is charity, love. So it can endure. You can poke it. You can poke it. And you can uh, provoke someone. And there's no resentment or revenge. Someone patient doesn't resent. Or does he have revenge in his heart? Neither one. So he can be provoked, but it's okay. He's patient. He's very slow to lose patience. All right? Uh, Sometimes in church situation, we say, well, somebody did that, and that's really not convenient for me. You know, I wish they wouldn't have done that. 
So here's the answer. Shut your mouth. Yeah, that's how you're going to show patience. Is by not all the time. You're going to learn to be patient and control our responses to people. All right. Now, love will say, well, I'll never feel resentment toward people. Uh, everybody got that one all nailed down? That's a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough one to be patient and never show resentment and to control our responses. And so patience is very much a part of love. And if we're going to define love in the church, we're going to find people are very patient. They can put up with us, put up with what we do, and do their best to do that. All right? And then he says love is kind. Uh, it looks for or it searches for a chance to do good. Any opportunity. Any chance to help somebody to do good, it looks for a way to be constructive. Uh, and uh, to be kind is uh, because words hurt a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Words hurt a long time. I've said to a few people occasionally, stop right there. Don't say the next thing you got in your mind. Why? Because you're going to be out and it's going to be said forever. And do you want that remembered forever? Is that what you want? It's a chance to do good, all right, and to look for a way to be constructive in people's lives, to be kind to people. All right, the next one he gives us here, charity envieth not. There it comes up. There, what we said back here, that jealousy was very easy to come by when people were exercising their gifts. I said, well, it's easy to look at and say, I'm a little jealous of that person. Uh, to not envy uh, is to, is to uh, wish for others good fortune. I want others to have good fortune. Good fortune. Look for that for people. Find a way to do that. Uh, it's a poison. Remember what killed Satan? Envy. Envy what took Satan down. Why? Who was he envious of? God. The envy of God. He wanted to sit on the throne like God did. So envy took Satan down. Don't forget, Pilate said they delivered Jesus to him to crucify him. Why? For envy. He said they were jealous of Jesus because Jesus had a way of being so popular. He walked into the temple. Everybody gathered around him and not them. So they were pretty envious and jealous. And so uh, we desire good and not ill for people. We wish good for them. We don't envy people. That's a very poisonous thing. <clears throat> All right, let's go on. Charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. So one of the things that love does 
and it teaches us to esteem others. On Philippians chapter 2, he works on this theme, Paul says, and once you learn to esteem others more than yourself. Learn to esteem others more than you do yourself. Uh, don't be have inflated ideas of our own importance, of our own ways, our own ideas. Uh, consider the idea, love will do this, and consider the idea that others are more important than us. All right? Does that go against our nat natural way? Of course it does. And so love is, is a very powerful thing that's coming in us, and it's, it's going to say, I'm going to change your natural ways. I'm going to change the way you think. So you're not walking around all puffed up. My Uncle Ad always said, you got to buy that guy a new hat. His head's got so big. Well, yeah, well, it's true, right? We get our head swelling. <laughs> That's a pretty dangerous thing in the church. It's not what we want. So he's teaching us, this is what I expect you to behave in church. This is how to run a church. We're not going to have resentment. We're going to look for good. We want the best for the people around us. As a matter of fact, we think more highly of them than we do ourselves. And that has a very calming effect on relationships. And that's the hard part. Relationships get strained, and love is there to mend those relationships. All right, next one. It does not, verse 5, behave itself unseemly. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't make a scene. Uh, love doesn't make a scene. Doesn't behave. It has good manners. Good manners. When I say good manners, I always think of my mother. She had perfect manners. And she was going to make sure we had them. And she was married to a Viking. And <laughs> And that was hard to get. <laughs> and she'd just say, oh, but you pointed me. You're not going to do that, <laughs> as the rest of us were told. Uh, so we were going to have good manners, and that's very much a thing that love will make us do. It will keep us good manners to control our responses and our tongue and make sure that we do the right things. All right, let's see what else is here. We had good manners. We're in verse number uh, five. Does not behave itself unseemingly, seeketh not her own. Love is completely unselfish. It's unselfish. First thing is what I can do for you. That's first. What I need for myself, that comes second or last. If, it's, if there's other people, it comes even last. What we can do for ourselves. Um, seeketh not his own. Jesus said, uh, love thy neighbor 
as thyself. And so self-love is sort of a natural thing. Now, sometimes people get where they hate themselves, and that's, that's not the right place because God loves you enough to die for you. And so you can love yourself, love what God made you. Look in the mirror and say, wow, look what God made. Sometimes I think, well, <laughs> but I'm thankful that God made me who I am. And you can be thankful for that, but then he says make sure you're thankful that God made people around you who they are. If you're going to say, I'm thankful God made me like I am, I appreciate what God did for me, then turn it around, love thy neighbor as thyself. And saying, I'm sure glad the way God made you and you and you and you. Right. And so we're looking at people in that light that the other people, we're going to love them because who God made them to be. So we're each individuals. God made us that. And he said, I want you to love each other and not seek your own. But let's go on here. Does not be say seeketh not our own is not easily provoked. Are we too touchy? Ah, that's a good one to put in there. We're touchy. Touchy. There's a few things you say you're going to get under my skin. How many things? <laughs> too many. All right, uh, we get too touchy. Love is a fire. I really think that love is a fire. And it burns inside of us. And there's another thing that can burn inside of us too, and that's anger. Anger burns inside of us. We feel anger and it burns inside of us. So make sure your love fire is hot enough so the wrath fire, the anger fire, can't get going. All right? Don't be touchy. Don't be touchy. All right? I mean, these are words are, is he's trying to define love that we're going to use in a church, but they certainly go all over our lives, don't they? They go home with our families. Right? They go to our neighbors and our friends. They go all around us so that we become this <coughs> love. It says, love thinketh no evil. Doesn't think about evil. Um, when somebody does something, uh, and this is a really important thing, <coughs> we're going to assign them uh, a good motive for what they do. say, well, why would they do that? Well, let's think about it. Is there some motive that we can assign to them that's a good motive that will help a lot, will help us uh, in our way we think about it so that we don't think evil? Right away we say, well, oh, I think that person's doing something really naughty. (laughs) And then I have to say in my head, how do you know? How do you know? 
Maybe there's a something that you haven't thought, there's something you don't know. And so we're going to assign to them the best possible motive so we think no evil. And then he says, verse 6, it rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. People are here to make us happy, and uh, we can be happy over them when they're doing well. We don't rejoice in their sin. So if they've done wrong, he says, we don't rejoice when people do wrong when they sin. That doesn't make us happy. But it ought to make us happy when they do well. When they do well. If we could respond to people and think, that was beautiful. You did a great thing. Thank you for what you did. That's a good thing. I'm sure they had a good reason. We need to be happy and rejoice over those kind of things. All right, now, let's go on. Verse 7. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. All right, and so people's behavior, you're going to bear it sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes you're going to love it. Sometimes you're going to bear it. You're going to have to bear it because love will do that. I can take the bad things you do. I can understand. I'm going to apply a good motive to it. So love is a very positive attitude. It believes all things. You say, I didn't mean to do that. I believe you. I believe you. All right, we've got to learn to believe what people say. Hope for all things. That is, we look at people hoping that it'll come out the best way. And in the end, it endures all things. It will trust people right to the end. And our hope for people never fades. And then all of that will last forever. Love endureth, or it lasts forever. Eight, love never fails. Now, there's something you want, right? You want, you want love never fails. Never fails. If you can love people, it will never fail. That is, that is the answer to our problems with our relationships. It is finding love and letting love dominate our lives. And as much as that can be a difficult thing to do, uh, that's what we have to do. Right Now let's take a look on here. Uh, verse 8, love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Right? Prophecies, that is, if someone can stand up and say, and I'm careful about this. I think the prophecies are in the Bible. We got about all we need right there. And some guy stands up and says, I'm a prophet too. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Just driving here to church, heard of a church somewhere. I didn't hear where it was. Where they had people locked up in the basement for over a year. They told me, best wait here until the Lord comes. It's coming in April. And so they kept them there through April. Of course, he didn't come. So they said, well, we're changing the date. It's September. Check your history. They've done that hundreds of times. And finally, the police and 
Somebody broke into the place and let, there's a bunch of children down there, let them out and said, Jesus didn't come in April. He didn't come in September. You're out. Come on. And, you know, people say, well, we got prophecies. Well, there's prophecies in the Bible, and we're trying to take those and think about them, what the Bible says about the end of time. And, and that's fine. We can do that. But he says, I want you to understand that prophecies, they're going to fail. Does it mean they're not going to come true? No. What it means is they'll be fulfilled. So somebody's predicting the future, Daniel. He says, there's this man going to come. He's the man of sin. Talking about the Antichrist, he's coming. Well, someday that'll be over. He will have come, and that prophecy will be finished. All right? And that's what he's saying. Prophecies will fail. <clears throat> Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Right? There won't be any need to talk. And I'm looking forward to heaven. I've been talking three times a week for a long time. And I want to go to heaven and they say, you don't have to preach this week. <laughs> I love it here. I love doing it here and, and doing what I think God wants me to do. But God says, one day it's going to stop. You won't have to preach. Now, I do think in the millennium, it appears to us when we read the Bible that God's going to send teachers all over the world. Because God's going to come, rule the earth for a thousand years, and he's going to make it peaceful. And in that time, he says, the glory of the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so in that time, in that thousand years, God is going to send teachers all over the world uh, to talk to people everywhere and tell them what's going to happen. And, convince them to believe. Uh, but when that's over, when you get to heaven, I don't have to preach next Sunday. <laughs> okay with me. Tongues will cease. Uh, prophecies will be over. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, and that which is in part shall be done away with. So do we all have all the truth? No. And we're going to keep preaching and studying and gaining knowledge. And then there will come a time when we arrive in heaven when it's all just as clear as crystal. You'll see what was right. You'll see it as plain as day. It'll be right in front of your face. And nobody will have to say to you, now, do you get it? There's Jesus. You got it. <laughs> all right. So that is coming when... Uh, the church, which is here to teach and to instruct and to guide and to bring people to Christ, that job will be finished. And we can lay down uh, our burden and do something else. I don't know what it'll be, but he'll have something for us to do. But it won't be trying to discover what the Bible means every week because we won't have to. We'll know. We'll get it. You'll see Christ, and you'll see that world that he's created up there, and no questions, no questions. It'll be a wonderful thing. All right, so he says that's what's coming. So prophecies, teaching and preaching will come to an end. Speaking will come to an end. It won't be necessary to be any, anymore. Now, verse 11, when I was a child... 
I spake as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away a child's things. My father loved that verse. <laughs> he repeated it to me many, many times. When I was a child, I used to be like you. He said, now I've known better. Well, that's not what this means, all right? This is not for getting after your kids, telling them to grow up. What it is, he's saying, is that there is a time when we are all children in our knowledge. We're all children in our grasp of things. We're all like children in the way we learn, a little bit at a time, he said. And so there'll come a day when we're no longer trying to understand and slightly confuse and trying to uh, grasp something. It'll come a day when we put away that not clear thinking and you'll think like adults and that'll be heaven when that comes. Right? <clears throat> and here he says again, here's another example. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know even also as I am known. So he says, it's like looking into a mirror nowadays when we're trying to understand what's true. We're looking into a mirror and it's kind of cloudy, dark mirror. We can't really quite see what we should see and the mirror is not a clear image. And when we look into our future, and we look into what God wants for us, what's the will of God for you right here, right now? Well, I can't always tell you. I'm trying to figure it out for me. All right, we all should be trying to figure, what's the will of God for us? And it's like looking in a dark mirror. And it's not plain. It's not simple and outright. There'll come a day when you will know what it was. I hope you worked hard enough down here to grasp it. I'm afraid there's going to be a lot of things that will have slipped by. We should have tried to get more of, he said. But there's coming a day when in, instead of in that dark mirror, you're going to see face to face. You, Jesus, face to face. And it becomes abundantly clear what it all was about, what your life was about, why these things happen. And so, he says now, verse 13, abideth faith, hope, and love. These three, the greatest of these is love. And so, uh, he says there's three things that are important. Faith, that is we have confidence in God. We have a boundless confidence in God. We need to have a boundless confidence in God. All right, so faith is an essential element in our lives. We need to believe God. We believe God. Have faith, confidence in God. That's one part. Hope is look for a bright future. So, really, if you have a bright future and you believe that, what are you discouraged about? Why are you dragging your feet? You got a bright future. You got a tremendous future. You got a future that's just 
<laughs> wow, it's amazing future, he says. And so that's something we need to always live with an amazing future. And listen to the news enough, and they'll change that for you. Okay? They're going to change it. They're going to try to change that for you. Don't let them. Don't let them. We got a bright future, wonderful future ahead of us. Then he said, love is the other thing. It's something that binds us together. Binds us together. And he says, your confidence in God, you can have all, get all you can get while you're here. When you're in heaven, everybody has it all, as you'll see. Your bright future will someday be a possession of yours. But he said, love is the one thing that you take with you and keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going forever. It never fails. It endures forever. And so as we learn to do what Jesus says, all right, he says, he says, this is my commandment, you love one another. And we got to figure out how to focus our church on love. All right, we got gifts. Yeah, we can use them. But the main focus is love. And when focus is love, these things like jealousy and criticism, love pushes them out of the way. So how do we do it? How do we make Love the way we run our church. How do we do that? Now, there's some things that we do on purpose. And I always tell you, everything we do has a purpose. I don't always explain what it is, but everything we do has a purpose. Coffee time. Coffee time. What's that for? So you can get a cup of coffee? No, it's not what it's for. All right, so you can get a donut first. <laughs> uh, no, that's not what it's for. It's for sharing love. We're going to talk to each other here and there around the church. So that everywhere I look around the whole church, they're all talking to it. Why do we shake hands in the service? It takes a lot of time out of a service. A lot of churches won't do it because it takes too much time. They say, well, we'll waste time. We're all talking to each other. Yeah, we have to yell and say, let's sing the next song, all right? But that's okay. Why don't we mind it? Because it's an expression of love among people. Hey, it's good to see you this morning. How you doing? Happy you're here. And people walk around hugging people. They always think of Gladys, right? She's always hugging everybody. Way past the f song starting, she's still hugging her way down the aisle. That's okay, you know, because that's what it's for. There are things we do, there's a purpose. It's an expression of love. And so how do we build a church? Well, Rick brings donuts and puts them out there for you. Right. That's his contribution to building love in the church. And we make these contributions, we do things, so that during that time it's very pleasant 
Everybody loves to eat, all right? People love coffee. Enjoy it. Talk. Say good morning to people. Somebody you haven't seen for a while, get a hold of them. Uh, we have a thing called a camp out. What do we do? Every year, I tell you, we don't do nothing. We're not doing nothing at the camp out. We're going to sit there and talk. And if there's food, you've got to help yourself. We won't even wait on you. Well, we do. We wait on you all the time. But it's, uh, it's a chance to build love and build relationships, and that can't be done. I went to churches a long time where they never had anything. Never had anything. You come in, you sit down in the service, and the service is over, you're out the door, and gone. Right? Well, when I got in one of those churches when I was older, I became an elder, and I said, you know, we ought to have, like, coffee. And they said, well, we can't take it in the sanctuary. I said, why not? They said, might spill it. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't want us to do anything to love each other. Don't you love each other because you might get coffee on the floor. Who cares, all right? That's not that important. And those kind of things, they did they did it uh, for a, a couple of weeks, and then I came to start this, and they stopped. That was enough. Yeah, I can't, can't do that anymore. But you're sharing food together, and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, there are people in this church, <coughs> and there's a lot of them, who work on this, and they send cards and I find them here and there and everywhere where people, this person sends a card out. And they find out it's your birthday, they'll probably send you a card. Something happens in your family, they'll say, send you a card, we're praying for you. And there are people who send four or five cards out a week. And they're sending cards. What's that doing? It's building love. And that's where the church has to get to go. We've got to get to that point. We're building love. And I think one of the most critical things that we need to do is say thank you. We need to say it over and 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 over. And then you're not done. You just keep saying it over and over and over. We need to say thank you. Builds love in the church. Somebody appreciates me. You go over there, well, they had like 20 kids in that nursery last week. You go over there with 20 kids running around and insanity rules, you know. We need to say thank you. It's awful easy to feel like you're out on a limb over there. All right, so we need to say thank you. Find out who was there. Say thank you to those people. Uh, and it's, it's easy for a church to become uh, yeah, we do this all the time. Uh, go to some church sometime that never says thank you. I've been to those. They never say thank you. Uh, I mean, I come in wearing a three-corner hat and, and uh, shorts and long socks and buckles on my shoes, and, and you know, yeah, it's Eric. 
go around and see how many pastors do that. Right. Uh, there's a 16-foot Christmas tree fills that spot for two months. People come in, oh, yeah, you got the tree. Come on. You know, if we're going to show love, there was about 10, 12 big, strong men pulled it through that door, carried it up here, and half killed themselves setting it up. And you come in, oh, yeah, that's nice. No, no, no. So building love is to be very thoughtful of other people's contributions. See, the criticism comes when we're focusing on gifts sometimes. We get criticizing. Love won't allow it. It won't have it. It will not have it. Now, so we say, how are we going to learn to love people? Well, is there some way that we can exercise love inside of a group of people and do it in such a way so that it, it really changes us into a loving congregation. Personally, I think it's the most loving congregation I've ever been in. All right? I've been in congregations. I've been in ones where everybody's mad at everybody. <laughs> I don't go. All right? I've been in ones where everybody's competing. That doesn't go either. All right? I think we have a very loving group of people. But we have to always continue to work on it. He said, this is how you run a church. So you can't say, well, we'll get to love somebody after. No, 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 no. This is my commandment, he said, that you love one another. I'm telling you, you got to do this. Jesus is saying, you have to do it. Well, it's not my nature. Well, get it in there then. If it's not your nature and you're naturally snippy, you're naturally grouchy. You like to bite back. All right? And we got to change. That's what we got to do. Jesus said, I command you. I command you to love one another. That's a very significant thing for him to say. Because any one of us would say, I find that person easy to love. I just love them like nothing. And then they look around and say, there's one over there. <laughs> I'm not so fond of them. All right? And so Jesus said, I command you to love one another. I'm telling you, you have to do it. And when we get to heaven, it's pretty clear that he is going to check up on our progress. And I'm sure he's going to say, here's one of the things I told you to do, to love one another and to love them the way you love yourself. And then to love him like I loved you. And he loved us enough to die for us. And so we go to heaven and we say, ah, I was mad at those people all the time. And they never did what I thought was right. Tell him. And he's going to say, I told you. I commanded you to love each other. I commanded you to do that. I didn't give you an option. And say, well, if they're nasty, you don't have to love them. That's not what he said. Look who he loved. huh? Thief on a cross. As he's dying, the thief on a cross is poking fun at him. Right? And he's telling him, get us off of here if you're supposed to be who you say you are. And when he changes his mind, what does he say? You and me together in heaven today. What a thing to say. 
to a guy who's just poking fun at you while you're suffering on a cross. There's a guy who knew how to love people who weren't lovely. All right? And he turned people with that attitude. Look what he did for the Roman centurion. There's a centurion there in charge of the four people that crucified Christ. And when he heard what Jesus said and he did, he said, truly, this was an innocent man, first of all. And then the other thing he said is, truly, that's the son of God. And for a Roman to say that is a huge step. How does he do it? The love of Jesus pouring out, pouring out. And so love overcomes things. And he's telling us here, um, you want to run your church right? Let's base it on these things. Uh, not revenge, but be patient. Close your mouth when you need to. Look for the good in people. Esteem them. Right? Don't make a scene. Use good manners. Don't be selfish. Whatever you do, don't be touchy. Sign to people a good motive. All right? And do what's right. And be proud and thankful when people do what's right. And so I'm going to give you what I think is probably the key to helping us to love people that we don't easily love. Some people are simple. All right? As we get growing up in Christ, it's simple for most everybody. But every one of us has a burr somewhere under our saddle, okay? And so uh, here's what I would say if you... Uh, love people, good. Grow up in it. Learn to express it. It's going to go on and on and on. When we get to heaven, they won't say, well, we're done with that now. No, 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 no. Keep it right going. You're going to grow more and more and more and more in heaven, and it'll be wonderful. And heaven will be what God meant us to be originally. When God created us, he said, here's my best thought. I'm going to make this person, give them these abilities and these talents, and they're going to be just wonderful people. And then along came sin. Kind of messed things up, twisted us. Well, when we get rid of that, and go to heaven, that's gone. And uh, when we go there and it's gone, then you'll all see what God intended you all to be. And it will be easy to love people. All right? We know that that's coming. All right? But here's what I would say. If you have people that are really hard for you to love, and you've got one thing you can do, and that's pray for them every day. I think that'll fix it. I think that'll fix it. It'll do more to fix it. Because praying is what fixes you. <laughs> we think we're going to pray for that person and God's going to change them. No, you pray like you should and God changes you. God gets inside of you. God teaches you uh, what the desires of your heart should be. And it really helps. And so I don't know of any magic pill... Other than that, saying thank you and being grateful to people and 
all the things that we've mentioned up there, but praying for them will probably do more than anything else uh, to help them. Uh, it really works. It works pretty good. Works good. I recommend it highly. And so, uh, how do you run a church? He says, well, we need talented people. No, you don't. You need loving people. You need loving people. And then, if God gives people abilities that we can use in the church, as long as love is the driving factor and the dominant factor in the church, I'm not worried about jealousies and envies and criticism. If love is there, it'll fix all of that. And it'll make the church what it's supposed to be. And so, that's the love chapter. That's how we run a church. That's how we operate and do little things to show our love and to make sure people know that we appreciate them. And, and know that in the end, Jesus said, it, it's not an option. It is not an option. You can't say, well, I don't have, yes, you do. He said, I command you to do it. So Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, he said, you know, you're, you're arguing over who's the best preacher. You're arguing over the food on the table. You always got some strife about some person somewhere. And then he says, uh, and then you're all gifted and you're all thinking, but I got a more talent than you. He said, here's what you all need in Corinth. You need to love each other more than any other thing. That's what you need. And that's the magic potion. That's the number one thing in 1 Corinthians on how to run a church. We got to chapter 13. And he said, here it is. I show you the best way to run a church. Love each other. All right. There, you're all set? Got it all figured out? Good luck with that. All right. We'll do our best, right? Thank you.